0: to on the ledge podcast episode 121 it's begonias part two we'll be hearing more from steve rosenbaum about how to take care of the wonderful foliage that is the begonia genus and i'll also be joined by scott zoner palm expert to answer a question about a curiously skinny palm Thanks to new patrons Heather, Monica and Marianne this week. Great to have you on board. I know Christmas is an expensive time of year, so I'm really super grateful that you've decided to join the clan of people making a monthly donation to On The Ledge. And if you'd like to join them, then do click onto my show notes at janeperone.com. Just scroll down the episode notes and you'll find the information at the bottom. Just a bit of housekeeping about the Christmas period. I will be putting an episode out over Christmas. I'm not exactly sure when it'll drop. It just depends on when I can get to work on it. Because as usual, uh, sickness and lots of Christmas commitments are crowding in on me at the moment. But I will get a Christmas episode out at some point. What I would say is that it's not a normal episode. It's going to be something a bit different. Some of you might love it. Some of you might be totally nonplussed. So, (laughs) well, we shall see. So subscribe to On The Ledge to make sure that you get the chance to listen. And I'll be back to normal on January the 10th for a normal episode. By now, all patrons who donate $5 a month or more and who gave me their postal address should have received their festive card from on the ledge. If you haven't, then do drop me a line and I can check what's going on with that. It was a real joy to write those cards and remember all the happy conversations I've had with all of those patrons and I hope you like them too. I shall be putting up the image that went on the front of the card just before Christmas so everyone can have a look because it's an absolute gorgeous illustration of me and Wolfie surrounded by plants done by the very talented Kiara Long who is an illustrator. But without further ado let's hear again from Steve Rosenbaum because I had so many questions from listeners about begonias and it's time for us to get some answers. So if you haven't listened to episode 120 the first part of the begonia episodes then do go back and listen to that now because it will make much more sense that way. And if you have, here's a reminder about who Steve Rosenbaum is. He is the founder of the wonderful Steve's Leaves Nursery in Texas and a grower of many a fine begonia. I begin by asking him to talk about some of the more select begonias that he sells at Steve's Leaves.
1: Well, one of our best sellers, it probably is our best selling begonia, is one called Pavanina. It's also called the peacock begonia. You know, keep in mind these, these plants, uh, without human intervention, either these plants or if they're a hybrid, their parents grow somewhere in nature without, without our help. And so, you know, we have to kind of, if we're having tr- trouble with a plant, we need to try to figure out what it naturally would have and what we can do to, uh, simulate that in our homes. Uh, pavanina, uh, there are a lot of failures with that plant, and we try to warn people that it has to have very high humidity. The humidity makes it the most challenging, and it has to have, of course, the rec- correct lighting and water, as we talked about. There are some other, there's amphioxus, there's some others that we grow uh, that one also need very high humidity. Back to the pavanina, one of the things that bothers me about that is I'll look online and see uh people selling that and they only show pictures of it so so what it's known for it's claim to fame is if you uh, uh take a flash picture just right it'll come out in iridescent blue and very pretty but a lot of the online sellers will only show you what it looks like if you capture it with a flash picture just right um and that's very misleading cuz the plant looks nothing like that it's not an iridescent blue in normal daylight so our main picture on the website at uh, stevesleaves.com we show uh, what it normally looks like the coloration because uh, I, I just that's something that just really rubs me the wrong way to uh, uh, that uh, a lot of other people do because they know they can sell more if they mislead people and uh, so people do need to know it does not have that iridescent color just in normal daylight uh but it is a really cool novelty and it's it is rewarding if you can get a, get the pictures right and everything and and have that iridescence come out
0: completely but you're absolutely right there's so much uh crazy stuff going on out there from you know i've seen you know succulents that have been given a, a weird filter so they look purple and all kinds of crazy things going on, uh, and right. people unfortunately fall for this stuff. But I suppose that's a more subtle version, as in, yeah, this is the plant could look like this, but it's not going to turn up. Uh, you know, your your plant's not going to look like this to the naked eye without any other uh, in, intervention. But you you really do have a lovely range of begonias, and there's so many tempting things on your website that make me want to give. some some of these begonias ago again the one that, that does really well for me and I don't even know what it's classified as is begonia luxurians I guess I love it because it doesn't really look like a begonia it just looks with the palmate leaves it looks so unusual and I found that For somebody who's, as I say, has killed a lot of begonias, I find that one particularly easy to grow.
1: That's good to hear that you're uh, having good luck with that. There are begonias that mimic other plants. There are some, there's one called foliosa that's called the fern leaf begonia. There's other begonias that look even more like a fern. And uh, there are begonias that I've seen that look almost like a hoya and that you know they're not when you see them bloom and they have the typical begonia flower.
0: They are such a diverse family, aren't they? There are some incredible ones. If somebody was going to start with with rexes for example, is there is there an easy rex that you could start with that's widely available that you'd recommend people giving a go to get into to rexes and and get started without um having that experience that I've had so many times of losing them or thinking you've lost them.
1: Uh, one of the ones that's my favorite, but part of it's just the way the coloring is, uh, is a, a variety called Fireworks by Michael Cartuz out of California. Uh, he's the uh, hybridizer. And, um, so that's one of my favorites, but it, it's not necessarily easier than a lot of the other varieties. But once you get the, the conditions right, that opens it up to growing lots and lots of types of, uh, Rexes.
0: And I think really my rule is if I really love something, then I will take really good care of it. If I'm kind of uh, not so interested, then it tends to be get ignored more. So the more you love something, I think the more care you're prepared to take with it.
1: Yeah, that sounds like human nature. Yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's get on to the subject of propagation, because as you say, um, it's a really great and fun thing to do with begonias. I had one listener who um, got in touch to say that she had a white rhino begonia and two different nurseries had told her, that it was very difficult to propagate. Is that just nurseries trying to keep their themselves in business? Or are there any really begonias that are difficult to propagate than others? Because I thought they were all quite easy.
1: Well, I assume she's referring to begonia venosa. And, uh, that one is rather difficult. It's easy to overwater. Yeah, I would agree. That's a challenging begonia. It's very slow growing. Uh, we very seldom have it. I don't even know if we still have it in our collection. I think we do. Um, yeah, very slow, but it loves uh, drier conditions. Um, now I've heard of people trying to propagate it by seed, uh, in general, you know, but it, and they're not easy to come by the seeds. And you have to be careful online. A lot of people are selling, you know, they'll sell you whatever you want it to be, but they're, they're bogus. But with begonia seeds, they're like dust. They're very, very fine. And so you want to surface sow them on, uh, we, what I prefer is, uh, on some kind of fine or medium vermiculite and surface sow, sprinkle the seeds on that. Some people like using just a seedling mix. Uh, or uh, some people will use a regular potting soil and top it with the seedling mix and that you surface sow it and you, so you have to keep the surface moist if it dries out then they're not going to germinate.
0: What are the easy begonias to to propagate in terms of, of leaf cuttings or, or leaf petiole cuttings? Begonia rexes seem to be quite fun to propagate what's your techni- technique with those?
1: Mm-hmm. Well the rexes and uh, other uh, rhizomatous type begonias are normally done from leaves. Uh, if it has a rhizome, if you have a older, say, beefsteak begonia and you have giant rhizomes all over the place, you can cut the rhizomes up. Every time you make a cut, you are taking a chance that disease organisms could move in, so it 's a little bit risky, but some people prefer doing rhizome uh cutting up the rhizomes uh, We prefer to do leaves and uh, I prefer leaf wedges uh there's an old fashioned way of taking a leaf and making slits across the veins and then putting the leaf flat against the soil to uh, to root in. Uh, I've never been crazy about that uh, method, but uh, the leaf wedges uh, work well for us.
0: And how long does it take to get from a leaf wedge to a sort of a viable young plant? Is it quite a quick process?
1: Some of our newer hybrids, we're able to, in about 10 weeks, so it's a little over two months, we can have something. Most of them, we're, you're looking at before they, you know, a couple months before they start producing new growth and uh typically our rexes take about three to five months to from leaf to when we can sell them sometimes longer
0: is really high humidity part of the deal when you're trying to to propagate you need to really give the, the plants um perhaps a terrarium or a covering that means that they're, they're they're in a high humidity situation particularly if you're trying to grow them indoors
1: correct yeah you definitely want to keep that humidity up and some people, if they don't have a terrarium or an inexpensive way to make a terrarium-like environment for the plant is to take the uh, plastic bag and put it over the pot. You can use a coat hanger for, um, a wire coat hanger to make a frame for it or some other kind of wire or anything you, uh, chopsticks to hold the bag up, whatever, uh, you, you want to do to, uh, kind of make a little tent, um, that's kind of sealed up that you don't have a lot of, uh, you want to keep that humidity
0: in so rhizomatous begonias like the beefsteak begonia which i have to say is one of my favorites just because i can grow it really well <laughs> i've got a huge one that's really gone nuts so i like that one just because i can make it look nice but so i can take i can sort of cut rhizomes off that are there any other techniques for begonias for, for other begonias that that i could
1: try we talked about
0: seeds we missed any other techniques that you might use
1: Most people don't have a tissue culture lab at home, but they can be grown from tissue culture. Right. One of my first begonias when I was a teenager, someone gave me two uh, leaves with a petiole attached, and it was a rhizomatous, but it had very thick petioles. And I started that. I, I planted one cutting in soil and one in water, and really the one in water rooted better. So you can sometimes start them in water, but... Some people say that when they try to root things in water, they just rot. So it just depends on your your conditions.
0: Yeah, I find it's hit and miss with, with that. But it, sometimes if it works, it is the easiest method and less stressful method. So um, I guess if you've got lots
1: of leaves, it's worth a gamble. There's also a, a di- different variations on the wedge uh, of the leaf propagated uh, begonias. Uh, one method is uh, sometimes called uh, cone cuttings, where you make a cone out of the leaf and stick that in, in the soil. Okay. I one time saw someone do uh, what they call confetti, I've only seen this done once, uh, confetti cuttings, and they took, uh, uh, I believe it was a Rex or some kind of rhizomatous, and they cut along the veins, they cut strips, and then they did little, maybe quarter inch square pieces that they sprinkled on sterilized sand in a jar, just like in a mason jar, and they sealed up the top, and every one of those sprouted a new It was very novel. It's a slow way to go because each of those, it's practically like growing from seed, takes quite a while. Whereas if you use a larger wedge, you're going to get a, a larger plant faster. So there are all kinds of things that people come up with. Those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, well, I guess that's the thing. You can, If you've got the material, you can try out different methods and see what, what works, and that's part of the fun. I've just realised that the other thing we haven't mentioned so far is potting soil for begonias. Is regular house plant potting soil that you might buy in a bag at the garden centre going to be fine for these plants, or do they need any amendments or something different?
1: Okay. How many hours do we have to discuss this? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, oh, it's so a big So yeah, yeah, there are some people... Okay. Some people really get technical uh with that so in our case we have thousands of varieties of plants many hundreds of varieties of begonias uh in particular and we use the same soil for everything whether it's a succulent a begonia whatever it is um because it would um now some we sometimes experiment and add a little bark or something to a to mix but in general we use the same thing for everything. And it's just a, a mainly a peat perlite mix that has a wetting agent and uh, is pH adjusted uh, with lime uh, by the manufacturer of the soil mix. So in most cases, they can grow it in whatever they want to grow. I have a, a friend in California named Randy, who it gets quite technical, and uh, he grows a lot of very rare begonias. And he will add, you know, he'll find out where it naturally grows. And if it grows off a limestone cliff, he'll add pieces of limestone in there. And he makes a real science out of it. Uh, We can't do that for so many varieties. So it's kind of sink or swim. They have to adjust to the way we grow things or we just don't grow it. Yeah. Uh, But to answer your question, I think just the general potting mix should be okay if it's, uh, you know, our preference is a, a peat moss based mix with some perlite for drainage.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that's the thing unless you're going to go down the very specialist route then hopefully the the same mix should should work fairly well for most of the things you're going to be growing
1: commonly. There are people who grow in garden soil and there are people who grow in compost and and many of those are successful as well.
0: It's hard to replicate somebody else's conditions uh, entirely and what sometimes that can work brilliantly for one person. I mean I went to a place on holiday earlier this year and they had the most incredible Rex begonias in this cottage in Wales. And I was going, How, what are you doing? How are you? And they weren't houseplant people at all, but they had these amazing Rex begonias. And I was just in shock and I couldn't really work out what they were doing to make such beautiful plants. But <laughs> I wish I'd found out their secret because they were just absolutely
1: beautiful. One of the nice things about growing plants is, is it's not set in stone. If it, if it is so predictable, it wouldn't be a challenge. You exactly. know, there wouldn't be exactly. anything. Uh, so I, I think that makes it interesting, and the experimentation part of it, I think, is is one of the most rewarding parts, trying to see what works.
0: We'll be back with Steve shortly for more Begonia info. But now it's time for question of the week. And I had to call on an expert this week to answer the question, which is about a palm. And so guest of the show, Scott Zoner, was the man I needed to speak to. I gave him a call earlier this week and here's what we discussed. Scott, thank you for joining me to answer this question from Milda, who has sent a picture of uh, what she describes as a skinny palm now i've sent you this picture she's got a problem with it because it is so skinny i think but first of all i were looking at this i my first thought was parlor palm but i don't know if i'm i'm on the money with that one no
2: i think i think that's exactly it i think it's yeah. uh parlor palm or camidoria elegans um and yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful little house plant and she's doing a great job growing it it looks looks actually pretty healthy so she's
0: worrying unnecessarily then about the size of the stem. I guess the reason possibly is that we see these parlour palms being sold usually as young plants, a cluster of them in a pot, don't we?
2: That's right. They're naturally a single stem palm, but growers usually put several plants or seedlings in a pot together just to have a, a more lush, more uh, uh, attractive product. But this is just one plant. She's growing the plant really as it normally would grow in nature. Uh, And it looks like it's doing quite well. And the stem is naturally skinny.
0: She says in her accompanying message that she had three plants in the pot originally, but two had died off. I guess uh, that sometimes happens when you get these young seedlings that just fail to sort of fully establish, but the remaining one seems to be doing okay. As you say, it's listing to one side. Is there anything that Milda can do about that issue?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think probably you know her originally she had three seedlings and and this one is just the survivor of the competition, you know, but it is leaning a little bit and and that could be a concern. Uh, certainly, if she wanted to add a little bamboo stake to the pot or something like that to to prop it up or to hold it up, that would work. The other thing she could do if she would really really wanted to, would be to try to air layer this palm. Camadorias will produce roots from the stem. Uh, and if so, if she were to wrap some moist uh, moss around the sphagnum moss around the uh, around the stem just below where all the leaves are, uh, after a while uh, it should root into it, and she could then snip it off, and, and she'd have a shorter palm. The the base, uh, the palm, her, her original base, the the stem that won't resprout. I mean that, that'll be that'll be the end of that. But she could shorten the palm, basically, by, by air layering it if she wanted to. Although I think the palm looks fine as it is. and uh. it's, pr- it's pretty good. I, I think the,
0: the questions that I get to on the ledge, they are veer between people who've got plants that are actually fine but are worrying about them <laughs> and people who aren't too worried but their plant is basically dead. <laughs> That's the two the two camps that the questions often fall into. I mean, I guess the other thing that's a good health sign for this plant is it does seem to have uh, some kind of inflorescence on it, which Milda sent a picture through. She wasn't quite sure what it was, but I'm guessing that's that's the parlour palms inflorescence. The it, kind of spiky, spiny, well not spiny, but bobbly, thin green hand almost
2: that's coming up. Yeah, it's a it's sparsely branched uh, flower stalk. Uh, the the flowers on this palm are um, nothing very showy, obviously, and and they're small little green flowers, greenish flowers. Uh, this is actually uh, looks like a female plant. The the male and female are separate plants in in Camidoria. and so she has a female, and but it won't produce any fruits because presumably there's no other male palm in the house that could pollinate it, but uh, uh, it yeah, this is again, an indication that the plant is actually doing quite well. It's happy. It's getting enough light. it's uh, It's flowering.
0: And just remind us, Scott, what conditions parlor
2: palms like to live in? well, they they don't want direct harsh sunlight. These are palms that naturally grow in the shade of the understory in in tropical forests. So they do well in shady, like maybe an east facing window or in in a uh, uh, you know partial shade situation. Uh, They're not hardy, obviously, so they can't be grown outside in your climate. But um, she's obviously doing a good job with it. Uh, Sometimes the biggest problem is overwatering these palms. These palms grow in areas where the soil can get a little bit dry between rainfall. So uh, so that would be my recommendation for growing it as a houseplant, is to let the soil begin to dry out before watering it again. Don't keep it constantly wet.
0: Great. I mean, as you say, it looks like Mild is doing a great job. Would another option be to to stick a stake in there? And I mean, then maybe it would look a bit ugly, but is that another way of kind of gradually trying to right it by staking
1: it?
2: Sure. And I, I don't I don't think it'd be a case where you could stake it and and leave it for a few months and then remove the stake and it would be you know permanently upright. Uh, I think if you put a stake in there, it's going to be a permanent addition to the plant. And, you know, a, a, uh, a stake judiciously placed uh, in the pot might not be too obtrusive. It might it might look okay.
0: Well, that's great. I think that Milda needs to give herself a pat on the back and just relax and not worry too much about her uh, parlour palm because it's looking pretty good to me. That just about wraps up that question. But is there anything else you want to tell us about parlour palms before you go?
2: Like I say, I think she's doing a great job and the plant is happy, so. So, um, good on her excellent thank you so much you're most welcome bye Jane thanks Scott
0: for cracking that one if you've got a question for on the ledge drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com because if I don't know the answer I'll find someone who does and now it's time to get back to my chat with Steve Rosenbaum to find out a little bit more about the intricacies of caring for begonias a couple of listeners have begged me to ask you about powdery mildew because they are despairing of the fact that it's destroying their plants. I mean, I guess it's a mixture of cultural advice to stop it happening in the first place. And then what do you do when, when your plants come down with powdery mildew?
1: Okay, I definitely have opinions on that, which, uh, some of which go against convention, conventional wisdom, but based on my experience. Well, what, first of all, if you're having a lot of powdery mildew problems, I would try to find uh, varieties that are resistant because uh, some begonias uh, in particular uh, are prone to get powdery mildew. So, I, you know, if, if we had a variety that was giving us a lot of trouble, we would just discontinue growing it because there's plenty of others. So that, that for starters, is just, you know, avoid the susceptible plants. What everyone says is make sure you have good airflow. So I have a a little story about that because we don't usually have a a powdery mildew problem. Uh, We very seldom have had one. And maybe it was a coincidence, but uh, we have a piece of equipment, a a type of fan that's called a fan jet, and you attach a convection tube to it, which is just a big plastic uh, uh, flexible polyethylene uh, tube that has holes in it. What it amounts to is kind of like ductwork in a house, but it's just clear plastic with holes and it distributes the heat. And uh so you're supposed to let that run um uh for air circulation. And uh but it also makes your electric bills go up because you're constantly running these big fans. But anyway, the one year I we had powdery mildew everywhere. Again, maybe it was a coincidence, but I really don't think it was, was when I decided to uh, make it where I had those fans running all the time like you're supposed to, to have good air circulation. And some people tell me, well, they think what happened was uh, that we distributed the spores more evenly uh, by, by doing that. But yeah, you're supposed to do good air circulation. There are plants grown in terrariums that never have powdery mildew, uh, on them. Also, there's the disease triangle. I don't know if you've discussed that in any of your podcasts, but uh, for plant diseases, you have to have three things. It's kind of an, a very obvious thing, but the the three things you have to have, you have to have the host. So you have to have the plant to begin with. You have to have the disease organism, of course. And the third thing is you have to have the right environmental conditions. And if you take away any of those, uh, so if you have the disease, the spores, the disease organism there, you have the host, but the environmental conditions aren't right, then you don't have the disease problem. So that's another thing is maybe people who don't have a problem in a terrarium, maybe they don't have the disease organism there, and that's why they don't have a problem. There there are a lot of variables there. As far as what to spray, I kind of avoid... uh chemical recommendations for people. Uh, There is a uh, product that's available commercially that's like a sodium bicarbonate or something like that. I tried it one time, and it seemed to work the first time I tried it. I saw some results and then never had any results again after that. So that's just my personal experience with it. There's probably other people who've had good experience with them. So uh, And it also caused spotting on the leaves. So I didn't like that part either.
0: So if your plants are coming down with powdery mildew, I mean, I guess the advice is sometimes we'll take off the worst effective leaves, but if that's all the leaves, then that's not possibly, possibly not the solution. (laughs)
1: Well, it it might be, as I said, uh, remove all the leaves and throw it away. You know, as (laughs) I I was saying, you know, pick another, pick another plant to grow. That's not so susceptible.
0: Yeah, I guess that is the thing. And sometimes you have to accept that It's not going to happen for you with a particular plant and uh, admit defeat. Admitting defeat is sometimes the best way forward. Okay, powdery mildew we've dealt with. Somebody's asking about cleaning begonia leaves. Some of them are very hairy and uh, have interesting textures and silvery patches and things. Are there any good ways to clean them or is it just a shower, the occasional shower?
1: I would say the occasional uh, shower is, is what I would recommend on that. Because as you pointed out, there's some leaves that, you know, if it's got a slick, hard surface, like I mentioned before, beefsteak begonias, yeah, you could wipe that off. But there's no need to really do that. Just rinse off the foliage with gentle spray of water and and that's all you need to do.
0: I think we're getting to the end of my main list of questions. We've covered a lot of ground there, Steve. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to Tell me about begonias that we haven't yet discussed. I mean, actually, one thing we haven't talked about, I should talk about this. Can you tell me a bit about begonias, small begonias that do well in a smallish terrarium setup?
1: You know, something I'm I'm not good about thinking of a lot of varieties off the top of my head. (laughs) What I do better is if we're walking through the greenhouse and I'll say, and, and which I would like to invite you if you're ever coming to Texas, I'd like to give you a tour
0: i had a listener from texas say to me oh i really hope you're going to come to texas soon and was telling me all these places to visit so yeah maybe a visit to texas should be on my horizon I, when you're looking for plants for terrariums are, are you looking for particularly compact varieties and ones that like high humidity in order to keep them happy in that terrarium setup that's what you're looking for is that you don't want huge things that are going to get huge that you're going to have to keep hacking back
1: correct there's a variety called i think it's mini mary I think Mary, M-E-R-R-Y. That's one that I really like that's dwarf. Uh, for the most part, we also, we don't grow many uh, dwarf uh, varieties because we're trying to fill out a, a four or six inch pot. So uh, a lot of people don't, if they see a little two inch pot, they may not see the value in that. And it may be just as old, uh, although it took less bench space. It's still age-wise might be the same as a much larger plant. So monetary reasons, we don't grow a lot of, uh, smaller varieties. That makes perfect sense. Some of them you can grow in the terrarium and uh, and if they outgrow it, either get a bigger terrarium or, or transplant. But yeah, you can you can do a little research online and find out what the uh, final size is of the, uh, of the plant.
0: One thing that a listener wanted to ask was tips on pruning begonias. Now, I'm not sure I've had many begonias in my life that have needed much pruning. They seem to self-prune by losing leaves, but presumably when you're dealing with plants that have got too big it's just a question of just making clean cuts and making sure that you're not taking off too much in any one go if you're pruning plants back
1: well with so many growth habits it's hard to make general statements uh if it's a cane or shrub type begonia you would trim it back so you'd want to trim it a little shorter you want to cut it back to a node just above a node uh so you don't have a, an ugly stub there um and then you want to trim it back a little farther. I've seen people trim their plants back to the height they want, and then they're saying, "Oh, it's already too big because it produced the new growth." Well, you need it, you know, you want to cut it back a little farther so that when it does produce the new growth, it goes gets to about the size you want. And then be sure and stick the cuttings that you take off and share them with your friends.
0: Yeah, that's very true. That's the best way best way forward.
1: If something gets too tall and lanky, sometimes it's better to start some new ones, uh, and uh, then you'll have a, a shorter, compact plant
0: yeah that's very good advice i think having having some backup plans has certainly worked well for me for plants that i've kind of struggled with but have finally established and i've, but I've got some new plants coming on that i can uh, fall back on when things go wrong as they sometimes do <laughs> well thanks steve for talking to me about begonias today this might be the cue for me to go back into the crazy world of rexes and, and, and give a couple of try in the spring
1: okay i hope so
0: <laughs> thanks very much steve Thanks so much to Steve for talking to me and do check out the show notes for images and information about the plants that we've talked about today. Thanks for all of your support this year. Every single one of you has been absolutely crucial in helping me to keep On The Ledge going and it's a delight to continue bringing you plant chat. I hope you all have a fabulous festive break and if I may misquote the wonderful RuPaul, If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love your plants? Can I get an amen up in here? The music you heard in this week's episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, An Instrument the Boy Called Happy Day Gakana by Samuel Corwin, and Enthusiast by Tours. All the music is licensed under Creative Commons. See my show notes at janeperone.com for details.